morning, Sun West. Uh, good to be with you. I wish I was with you in person. Uh, sorry, it had to be this this way. Uh, we're I'm in Montana right now. Uh, my son Joel had the opportunity to race at the Pan American Cyclocross Championships, and uh, and so we decided to give him that opportunity. It was a little bit last minute. Uh, but I still wanted to speak this series, so we're trying to figure out how do I be in two places at once, and so we thought doing this video would be a good option for today. And the reason I wanted to speak it was because we're talking about our values, and we're talking about a value that is particularly important today, and I'm looking forward to diving into that. Um, and so uh, before we get into that, uh, let's just do a little bit of a recap. So we've been doing Words to Live By, and Words to Live By is the name of the series. It's been a seven-week series. Today is the seventh week, uh, the last time or the last value that we're doing. Uh, and the reason we think it's important to talk about our values, as we have said every single week, that words are powerful. The words that we choose to speak create environment, they create culture, they create emotion, they create the experiences that you and I have. Uh, we speak words, and as it says in Proverbs, that death, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so the things that we say to one another have the ability to tear down or the ability to build up. And we know this intuitively, the things that our parents have said to us, our friends have said to us, our teachers have said to us, have built us up to be the people that we are today. And so now, as we collectively, as a community, choose our language, we have the potential to help create our culture. And so we're choosing language intentionally, we're choosing language that we believe is God-honoring, that is Jesus-centered, and sets us up to represent who Jesus is in the world, uh, but also to one another. And so as a quick recap, the values that we've looked at, uh, the first one, which you've heard a lot, don't do life alone. Now, we talk about it a lot when we're doing groups, but God didn't create us to live alone. When we talked about this value, we also acknowledged the temptation for uh, us to make community the center thing. But community is actually a byproduct of people centering their lives around Jesus. When we choose to center our lives around another human being or around a church community, we're always going to be disappointed. We're always going to get hurt because we're imperfect people. That's leading to the next value. But because of that, we need to center our lives on God who is faithful, who is unchanging. And as we center our lives on him, we experience community and life together with others. And so we don't do life alone, but Jesus is the center and we do life together with him at the center. Our next value, which I just alluded to, is no perfect people allowed. Uh, so I'm not perfect. Uh, if, you're at a tr- if you're here looking for a church, a perfect church, uh, you're going to be disappointed because I'm imperfect. And guess what? You are too. Uh, that's why we need Jesus. If we think that we're perfect, we're actually on the outside looking in. And so we talked about that and how the people that were imperfect or on the outside that looked the most imperfect were the people that were most attracted to Jesus. And it's not because there was other people that were perfect. It was because they most readily admitted that they needed grace, that they needed forgiveness, that they needed something that Jesus was bringing. And so we come to Jesus with humility. We come to Jesus recognizing that we're not perfect, that we're in need of his forgiveness and grace. Uh, And that gives us this uh, type of community that values authenticity. We don't want to be a community of pretense, of hypocrisy. Uh, We want to be real. Uh, which means your warts, your mistakes, your past, we're all coming with stuff. Uh, And that's okay because that stuff doesn't define us. It's Jesus who defines us. So no perfect people allowed. Our third value we talked about is we don't maintain, we multiply. Everything that's healthy grows. 
And so as a church that's on mission with Jesus at the center, our expectation is that we will grow. Jesus told us to go into all the world to make disciples who make disciples. And disciples is just a fancy word of saying people that follow Jesus. That's our mission, to guide all people to an authentic relationship with Jesus. So as that happens, yes, SunWest is going to grow. But how we grow is really important because Jesus wants all of us to participate, to use our gifts, to be engaged in community. Church isn't a spectator sport. And so we're not interested in just adding and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, We actually want to multiply, which means we grow through smaller units because the smaller the, uh, the group is, the more opportunity there are for people to use their gifts and to engage uh, with their own stories and the story of other people. And so we want to grow through multiplication. That looks like groups, that looks like services, might look in the future like campuses and church plants. Uh, So we talked a little bit about that in the third week. Then we talked about how we won't keep this to ourselves, the value of outreach. If the news of Jesus is good news, and if it's the best news in the world, which we believe it is, why in the world would we keep that to ourselves? Uh, we keep we share all sorts of things with people about the sports teams we like or the, our favorite music or the movie we just walked, watched. But if Jesus is that much more important, then why wouldn't we share that with other people? And so we want the value of outreach and inviting other people to experience the life that Jesus has to give. And then we talked about how change starts in me a couple of weeks ago, the, the value of transformation. Uh, so there's a tendency as humans to think the problem's out there, that it's somebody else, that it's not me, that if this would just be fixed or they would change or if that government would do something different or that, you know, whatever it is, uh, then everything would be better. But until we recognize that the problem in the world is actually the human heart, we won't address the real problem. We're just going to keep addressing solutions. And so Jesus and the scriptures tell us that the human heart is what is in need of healing. And so as we think about transformation in the world, we need to recognize that transformation actually starts inside. It's an inside job. It goes from the inside out. And that's the way God wants to bring transformation in our world is actually in us first and then through us in the world around us. So change starts in me. And then last week, we talked about the value of risk-taking, how we choose courage over comfort. Uh, and the human tendency is to choose what is easiest, to choose what is most pleasurable, to choose what is most comfortable. Uh, that's the tendency or the temptation as human beings. But what is easiest isn't usually what is best. What is easiest isn't usually what's best for us or for other people. And we have to intentionally choose to do hard things. We have to intentionally choose to take risks and be people of courage uh, and recognize that comfort isn't necessarily our friend. We know this even as we think about how our muscles work. You know, some of my kids, when they see guys that are really bulked up up top and they got skinny legs, uh, one of their favorite comments is, well, that guy skipped leg day, uh, which is basically just saying that, that that guy keeps working out one part of his body but not the other part. And, and when you don't have resistance, right, muscles build through resistance, If you don't give your body resistance when you're working out or when you're doing anything, then your muscles actually stop growing. You can experience muscle atrophy if they never work. Uh, And resistance, even though it's difficult, is actually what makes muscles healthy, what makes muscles grow. And the same thing is true spiritually. We need to choose resistance. We need to choose things that are uncomfortable because when we do that, we naturally grow, become healthier. And so we choose courage over comfort. We want to be risk takers. So this all leads us to the next value that I want to introduce. And the the risk-taking value is connected with the seventh value. So let me talk a little bit about the journey from the sixth value to the seventh value. Because the model we used to use for risk-taking was faith first. 
In fact, we should say faith first, safety second. There are some people on staff uh, that really didn't like the idea of safety being second, but uh, that's besides the point. Faith first. And we used this model for a while, and the longer I thought and contemplated this, uh, the more it just didn't sit right with me. I wasn't actually sure if faith should be first. Should faith be first? Should risk-taking be first. We value risk-taking. We value courage over comfort. But is risk-taking in and of itself the first and primary value, the thing that we want to do first? Uh, I don't think so. In Romans 10, it says, faith comes from hearing. So here we see that faith is not the first thing. It comes from something previous to it. Faith is secondary to something else. It's referred to as hearing, but really what it's talking about is prayer. And as I was wrestling with this idea of faith first, I had this memory that years ago at SunWest, we did have a value and we called it pray first. And this didn't happen intentionally. It just happened over time. Uh, As we changed our values, prayer wasn't in the six values. We tried to figure out what we're going to call risk-taking. We called it uh, faith first. And unintentionally, we put first with risk-taking, and we removed prayer, and that's just not okay. You know, it's almost like assuming that we can take God-honoring risks without listening and praying and discerning what God's will is. And so we had to back, back it up. I mean, if I'm honest, I think my initial, default, my initial response, my default response when challenges come my way is to be a fixer, is to go do something, is to try hard to make it all work. Um, I'm an action type of person. I like to problem solve. Uh, and then prayer, I do pray, but often, if I'm totally honest, and I think I'm not the only one that's like this, prayer isn't first. Prayer is like the last option. So you try everything else. You try what you can do. You try and fix the problem. You, you try and you know, reach your goals, and then you realize you're not reaching them, and then you go, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help us. And we go to prayer as a last resort, almost asking God to bless what we're trying to do rather than asking God, what are you trying to do and how do I bless that? And so that brings us to the value of prayer. And the disciples saw Jesus as someone who um, knew how to pray in a way that they didn't. And to be clear, the disciples knew how to pray. They grew up praying. They grew up as good Jewish boys. They recited prayers. They, had, they knew their scriptures. They, they prayed regularly, multiple times a day. And so they knew some form of prayer. But the, there was something the way that Jesus prayed that uh, just engaged them, that made them ask some questions. And they looked at Jesus. They said, hey, Jesus, we would love to pray like you. Can you teach us how to pray like you? Because the way you pray is different than the way we pray, the way we were taught to pray, the way our, way our religious leaders pray. There's something unique and different about the way that you pray. And so Jesus said, yeah, I can teach you how to pray. And so this is how we start. This is how you pray. He said, you start like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's interesting to note that Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, the first thing, the first thing that he tells his disciples to do isn't to come with your asks, isn't to come with your list of things that you want God to do. He does talk about that later. But the initial thing that Jesus teaches them to do is acknowledge who God is, our Father in heaven, where God is, how great God is, hallowed be your name. Your, and then get this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the first thing that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, because I believe that this is the posture, the initial posture of prayer. 
And many of us, I think, come to God and understand prayer as us asking God to bless things, to change things, to help us. Um, And if we think that's the primary reason that we pray, we're often left really disappointed because maybe God didn't answer our prayers. And if God didn't answer a prayer, then we go to the next step and we think maybe God doesn't care. And if that happens long enough, we start to think, well, maybe God isn't even there. And this is the trajectory that many, many people think. And, and it actually comes from a misunderstanding of what prayer is all about. If we think God is supposed to be a genie that's supposed to bless me, to answer my prayers, over time we get disappointed. And as the disappointment grows, uh, maybe we're thinking, well, maybe God doesn't even exist. But what if we fundamentally misunderstood the purpose of prayer? Perhaps the purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose it. The primary purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose our will. And this is why Jesus, before he taught us to ask, he did, God invites us to ask. But before he taught us to ask, he said the, the purpose, the posture that you come to prayer with is one that says, God, you're great. I want to submit my will to your will. I want heaven to come to earth. Your will be done in my life. Your will be done in this world. Your will be done at my job. Your will be done in my family. Your will be done in my community, in my city, in my country. This is the posture of prayer that Jesus teaches us to come with. In fact, this was so much of Jesus' posture. In John chapter 5, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And so Jesus said, everything I do, I only do after I see what the Father is doing. Jesus was most interested in God's will. What was God up to? And how do I come underneath that? How do I become obedient to that? That was the posture of Jesus. And that was the primary reason that he went to pray. pray. And we know he regularly went to pray. He was often off by himself in a solitary place. He was up all night. He was up early in the morning. He was coming to God in prayer. And yes, I think he asked God things. We know that he did. But I think the primary purpose was that Jesus was positioning himself under the will of the Father. We see that clearly, what, that's what happens in the wilderness. It says when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But check this out. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I mean, I knew the story. I I grew up in church. I knew the story very early on. Uh, This is how I've understood the story for most of my life. Jesus is tempted because he's hungry, because he's been fasting. And the devil comes and says, hey, have something to eat. It's okay. And, And Jesus replies, to the serpent, or it's not to the serpent, to the tempter, to Satan, and says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word, on, on every Bible verse that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying, I know how to fight the devil. I fight the devil by knowing my Bible inside and out. In fact, even growing up, my grandparents, they had, uh, I don't know if you've seen them, the daily bread devotionals. Uh, that's what they were called. And and so there's, I think they still make them, but they're daily bread devotionals, and you open them up, and they're scripture verses and a couple of devotional thoughts. Um, one of my favorite memories growing up was how my 
grandparents read their Bibles every day and they had the daily bread devotional and their Bibles were always open and the daily bread devotional was always open on the coffee table every time I ever went to my grandparents' house. And so I intuitively had this thought, the daily bread, the word that Jesus is talking about is the Bible. If I just read the Bible enough, you know, then I can thrive in my life. But I found out years later, uh, not only through study, but then also through experience that the word that Jesus is using here may not be that word. In fact, the word word is translated from two different Greek words. So when you read the word word in your Bible, it's coming from one of two different places. It can come from the word logos. And the word logos refers to the Bible. It refers to what God has said to us, the general revelation of God, what he has said, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, the Genesis, the Revelation, your scriptures. Logos refers to the Bible. It also refers to Jesus. We know in John 1, it says the word was in the beginning and then the word became flesh and made his home among us. The word is talking about Jesus. It's also used that way in Hebrews chapter 1. But these are the two ways that Logos is used in the scriptures, and it's primarily used to talk about the Bible. So that's Logos. But there's another word that's translated word, and that's the word rhema. And the word rhema is the word of God to you personally. The word of God to me personally. It's a specific message given to a specific person at a specific time for a specific reason. It's intimate. It's relational. It's between you and God. It is actually outside of scripture. It lines up with scripture, but it's outside of scripture and it's personal to you. Uh, And sometimes it might even be scripture, but that scripture has somehow become more personal and more alive because God is using that scripture particularly to direct you. This is the personal message, the rhema word of God. So In Matthew 4, when Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God, was Jesus saying, you know what? The key to life is just to study your Bible and study your Bible and study your Bible and know know the Bible, know the Logos word of God. Or was he saying something else? So in other words, is this word Logos or Rhema? It's Rhema. Jesus answers, and this, this lines up with the other things that Jesus taught us that we looked at earlier. He says that man shall not live on bread alone. The essence of life is that Jesus was living on the rhema word of God, the personal word of God, that he was doing nothing without seeing what the Father was doing. His posture was first to submit to the will of God. Yeah, Jesus knew the general will of God. He knew the logos of God. He knew what was in the scriptures better than any of us, but that was not enough. Jesus is saying that there's a different type of life, a different type of dependency that he has on God. And it is dependent on this personal, one-on-one, relational, talking and listening relationship that comes between him and the Father. And so he teaches us that if we know God, if we are followers of Jesus, that we can follow God because we will know God's voice. Jesus says they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus here is not talking about the Bible. The Bible helps us understand what God has said. It helps us filter through uh, what God will speak for all time because the Bible reveals God's will, but it doesn't actually address the personal rhema word that God wants to give to you. And, And Jesus is saying that we will know God's voice, his rhema voice, his personal voice. You know, when I... When Lisa and I had our kids, uh, especially our first two, I, I remember 
uh, when Joel was born, he's our oldest, he would wake up crying. He cried a lot as a kid. Uh, he had a, you know, he, he ended up being like allergic to 20 things and we didn't know that until he was six months years old. We're like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. But he spent like the six, first six months of his life just crying. And so he would cry his way through the night. Uh, and I would sleep through the night. And le- well, I would sleep through the night. Uh, <laughs> Lisa would get up with him every single time when he was, he was a baby. And yeah, I actually grew accustomed to it. I didn't wake up. He would cry. I'd wake up in the morning and say, hey, Lisa, how was the, how was the night last night? She's like, you didn't hear Joel? I'm like, no, I didn't hear him. He's like, he, he was up like six times last night, and I just slept like a baby. Uh, I don't understand that phrase, but I slept through the whole night. Uh, and that lasted where Joel, uh, even as he got through that phase, even when he would wake up, when he would cry, Lisa would wake up and I wouldn't. She was tuned into his voice. But something interesting happened when Luke was born, our second son. Uh, now the roles were changing and Luke, Joel was getting a little bit easier. When he, when he was older, getting older, I would wake up with him and I would, I would spend time with him at night. And when Luke was a baby, he would cry and Lisa would get up with Luke. So we had this arrangement. You wake up with Luke, I'll wake up with Joel. And something fascinating happened over time is Joel would cry and I would wake up and Lisa would sleep. Luke would cry, Lisa would wake up and I would sleep. And we'd say, hey, did, you know, I didn't know. Like, did Luke wake up last night? And she'd like, yeah, he woke up a bunch of times. Or did Joel wake up? Yeah, I was with Joel. We didn't know that the other kid was waking up because we had actually tuned our ears to be able to hear the voice of each of those kids. It was a fascinating thing. Uh, there's something about what Jesus is saying here that I think is similar that I think God is speaking all the time. I think God is speaking to you all the time. Whether or not you feel like God speaks, it might just because you, be because you haven't learned to tune into his voice. In fact, we run the Hearing God course at SunWest because we believe that everybody can learn to hear the voice of God. And so no matter who you are, no matter you know, what you believe about God, I believe God is speaking, that God wants to speak to you. Uh, in fact, you can actually go online on our events if you want to sign up for the Hearing God class uh, we're collecting names of people that are interested in taking it this round. Uh, we usually offer it once or twice a year. Uh, you can sign your name up on there, and then uh, when that class starts, you'll be uh, notified about when that's starting. Uh, but I'd encourage you to sign up. But we run that course regularly because we believe fundamentally that every single human being can learn to hear the voice of God, that God is speaking, that we can tune into him, just like Jesus is saying, that we will recognize God's voice, and we will follow him, and we'll be able to identify the voices that aren't from God, and we'll run from them. I think if you are human, you can learn to hear God's voice. Uh, So now back to Romans 10. We started here. Faith comes from hearing. So faith is not the first thing. It's not faith first. It's prayer first. Faith comes from hearing. And then it says, and hearing by the word of Christ. So now that we've kind of gone through Logos and Rhema and we come back to Romans 10, let me ask you, what word do you think the word is here in Romans 10? The Apostle Paul is saying faith doesn't come first, it comes from hearing, and we hear by the word of Christ. Is it logos or rhema? Well, I don't think it'll be a surprise to you to know that it's the word rhema. This is consistent with what Jesus was teaching us. So Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying that faith is not the first thing. It's a secondary thing. The first thing is that we hear We hear God's will, and hearing comes from the rhema word of Christ, the personalized word of Christ. Risk-taking, courage, actually comes from knowing what we should risk on. 
what the thing is that we should be courageous in front of, what decision we should make. And we know what to do because God has actually given us a personal word and direction of what to do. And so our boldness, our courage, yes, we want that to be a value, but it's not the first value. It's secondary to us first hearing. And hearing actually means that we learn to hear the personal voice of God, the rhema word of God. This is what, John, this is what um, Jesus was talking about even in John 15 when he said, if you remain in me and I remain, he says, if you remain in me and my words, I remain in you. He's talking about abiding. And the word that he used there, again, is the word rhema. If you remain in me and my words, he's not saying if you remain in me in the Bible, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for studying the Bible because that tells us what God is like, who God is. It tells us what the types of things that he said, his general will. But there's another level of personal relationship. Jesus saying, if you remain in me and the rhema words that I give you, this personal relationship, uh, then you will thrive in life. That's what he's saying in John 15. Then you will experience the fullness of life. So pray first. Let prayer not be our last resort. Let us not just make plans and do things and say, God, bless what I'm doing. I think if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to let Jesus teach us how to pray, we will be a people that go to God to pray first. Not just to ask God, but to ask, ask God to you know, to heal us or to do things for us. That's important. But our, our position, our primary purpose in praying is to say, God, what is your will? God, what are you telling me to do? How do you want me to live? What risks do you want me to take? And we listen and we're patient. And so our initial posture isn't to risk. Our initial posture is to wait, to listen. God, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to us as a church? What are you saying to me as an individual? What do you want to do in my family, in my community? And we listen. We listen for the voice of God. And when we know what God is saying, then we can take risks. In the book of Acts, we see God do tremendous things. But did you know that in the book of Acts, every movement of God was preceded by a movement of prayer? Every movement of God in the book of Acts was preceded by a movement of prayer. People praying, seeking the will of God, waiting on God, and then God moved. And when God moved, then they moved with God. If you study history and you study the movements of God through history, did you know that every movement of God, I, I, took, a, uh, I took a class actually in my seminary studies that looked at the movements of God in history. And every movement of God, not only in the book of Acts, but also in history, was also preceded by a movement of prayer. God moves, God's wanting to move, God's wanting us to take risks, but only when we wait and posture ourselves and say, God, what's your will? Hearing the rhema voice of God, and when we know it, then we can go for it. And so the question is, what is prayer? What movement is prayer preceding for you, for me, for us? Well, we won't know unless we pray first. I believe that God wants to do amazing things through you and through me and through this church and this space at this time. Whatever he does is going to be preceded by a movement of prayer. And we won't know what he wants to do until we have a posture of pray first. So would you join me in that posture? Would we be people that wait on God? You know, uh, there's going to be an opportunity for you to receive prayer at the end of service. Uh, And we invite you anytime, any Sunday to come forward for prayer at the end of the service. But perhaps... Uh, we can start to move and pray ourselves, pray for one another ourselves. And when somebody brings something to you, a problem to you, uh, instead of trying to solve it, you say, let's pray. Let's be a pray first kind of people. Let's see what God wants to say. Let's listen to, to the voice of God. And again, if you don't know how to do that, that's why we do the Hearing God class. You can sign up on the Church Center app or on the events page. Uh, we look forward to running that class again with those that are interested to do that. But may we be a people that pray first. So as we close... 
Let's put that into practice right away. Uh, take a moment. Let's pray. Now, would you join me? God, we thank you that you not only have revealed your general will for us for all time in your written word, but you've gone a step further and you want to have this life on life, this one-on-one, this personal relationship with each of us. Lord, we thank you that you are speaking. We thank you that we can learn to hear your voice. May we be a people that not only pray first, but we listen, we, we wait. And Lord, there's people here this morning that are listening that need to hear from you. Lord, would you show them what it means to slow down, to wait, to pray first, and to listen? Lord, those of us who need direction because we don't know what decision to make or maybe we're making decisions that we need to slow back and pull back from, uh, Lord, would you show us those things? May we be people that risk, that are people of faith, but only after we have heard your direction and your will. We pray that we would be pray-first kind of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.